This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope I find you well. Of course, the Euros are now a distant memory. Full focus now on the World Cup qualifiers that are on the horizon. Hungary, Andorra and Poland, early September, of which I plan to do the usual preview episode. But in this break, since the tournament... I've recorded a few episodes that I'm going to be releasing over the next coming weeks. I managed to get them recorded whilst isolating at home, thanks to succumbing to the Wembley Covid variant that I think many of you will also be familiar with. Thankfully, it didn't hit me too hard, but it did put paid to a few plans I had. I think also I'm still recovering from the amount of episodes I put out over that period of time. The friendlies at Middlesbrough, the group games, the knockouts, the final. Exhausting. And you'll find that when tournaments come around, so do New England podcasts. Loads of them pop up. Very few stay, so I'm pleased to be back. And I'm glad you're here with me. Coming up on this episode, I am lucky enough to be speaking with Richard Weeks from the England Supporters Club. So stay tuned for that as he tells us what it was like organising everything whilst we enjoyed the tournament. Sadly, on the 9th of July, shortly before England's European Championships final match against Italy, Paul Mariner passed away. Paul was a former England international who amassed 35 caps and scored 13 goals. Notably, he played for Plymouth Argyle, Ipswich Town, Arsenal and Portsmouth. And he made his England debut in a 5-0 home victory over Luxembourg in 1977, coming on as a half-time substitute for Joe Royal. And in fact, his first England goal came in the reverse fixture against Luxembourg in October that same year. Now, after England hadn't qualified for a World Cup since 1970, he scored the goal that took us to Spain in 1982, scoring against Hungary at Wembley in a 1-0 win. Alden Martin up with the goalkeeper. This is Trevor Brooking. Oh, there's a chance there. It's a goal. a series of Hungarian fouls and Mezirosh came and didn't make it. The ball comes out to Trevor Brooking. He fires it back in and there's Mariner 1-0 to England. Many will also remember Brian Robson's score after 27 seconds in that 1982 World Cup but Mariner also scored. He got the last one in a 3-1 win. Brunson. That surely wraps it up for England. 
Paul was 68 and passed away following a short battle with brain cancer. Also, sadly, on the 31st of July, Terry Cooper passed away, aged 77. Terry was a left-back who spent most of his career at Leeds United. He also played for Middlesbrough and both Bristol clubs, City and Rovers, whom he also managed both of. He made 20 appearances for England between 1969 and 1974, and he made his England debut in a 5-0 win over France at Wembley. And he went to Mexico as part of the 1970 team. He was an ever-present in that campaign that came to an end at the hands of West Germany. As always, we pass on our condolences to both to Terry Cooper and Paul Mariner's family and friends. Now, as I'm sure you're well aware, the Olympics have been taking place over in Tokyo, and it's only the women who are competing on the football front as Team GB. Whilst it was a team made up from players from England, Scotland and Wales, it was predominantly players from the Lionesses. Two wins in the group stage and a draw saw them into the quarter-finals where they played Australia. A hat-trick from Ellen White wasn't enough though as they went out 4-3 after extra time. So for the second successive Olympic Games, Team GB exited at the quarter-final stage. But... Turning to the Lionesses, it has also been announced that they will face Northern Ireland on Saturday the 23rd of October in a 2023 World Cup qualifier to be played at Wembley Stadium. Kick-off 5.15 and tickets are available for it via the FA website. And kids under 16 are priced at just £2.50. But before that, they are in action against North Macedonia on the 17th of September at St Mary's in Southampton. That's a 7pm kickoff. And again, tickets via the FA. On the 27th of June, the new England under-21 manager was announced. Former Republic of Ireland international Lee Carsley replaced A.D. Bouvroyd, who was sacked in mid-April. Carsley was promoted from within as he was the former manager of the under-20s, although he'd only been in that position since September 2020. Whilst he played international level for Ireland, he was actually born in Birmingham who he played for, as he also did for Derby, Everton and Coventry. He only qualified for playing for Ireland through his grandmother. Now, alongside him, he has brought in Ashley Cole, who probably needs no introduction. 107 England caps, arguably one of the best left-backs ever. Of course, played for both Arsenal and Chelsea. And coaching-wise, Ashley Cole, he was at Derby for some time, and he's also coaching at youth level for Chelsea which apparently is going to continue to do so, uh, sharing the job with the England role. Now, the under-21s, of course, had a dreadful 2021 European Championships, finishing bottom of the table, going out at the group stage in March. And by all accounts, 
Carsley only had a couple of games for the under-20s. He oversaw a 2-0 win over Wales in October last year. And there was a 3-1 loss to Aston Villa's under-20s in November. Yep, Aston Villa. I would be interested to know who else was approached about this position as being manager of the under-21s. I think Lee deserves a fair crack of the whip because results and player progression is what we want to see. The under-21s moving through to the senior team. Lee has actually, in fact, had some experience with the under-21 teams because back in 2017, uh, it was announced that he had been named as the under-21 team's part-time specialist national coach. Quite what that actually means, I'm not sure. But the under-21s, their next game... And first for Lee Carsley will come when they face Romania in an under-21 international in Bucharest on the 3rd of September. Then they begin their new UEFA under-21 Euro qualifying campaign hosting Kosovo on the 7th of September. And that's being played at Stadium MK, home of Milton Keynes Dons. I think that's what they still call it, isn't it? Stadium MK. Uh, I'm quite tempted by it, to be honest. And tickets of which are now available via the FA for that one. Now, as this is the first pod back after the Euros, it's always good to just take a a look back on things now that... uh, now that the dust has settled, as they say, uh, and also have a look forwards. And who better to do that with Richard Weeks from the England Supporters Club? Richard, you're right. Hello. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. I know you're a busy man at the moment, but with everything going on, ticket sales, Andorra ticket sales, Lioness ticket sales, potential away games. So, uh, thank you very much for your time. First of all, I think it's I think it's important that. We we kind of recognise you as a uh, as an actual football England supporter. What, what did you think of the tournament? Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's quite weird actually. Um, you know, like R- Russia was my. F- I, I was involved in uh, France twenty sixteen, but it was a bit back and forth with regards to my role. I was kind of in and out. That was very obscure. Russia was my first tournament working, uh, kind of hands on in the tournament. And you know when football players always go that cliche, oh, you don't really know what's going on back home, and you just think, ah, oh, whatever. Like legit, you're so you're so engrossed in in what you're doing that it, you look at the videos back home, you're like, oh, that looks so much more fun. <laughs> yeah, all the pub gardens and the parks and everything. I mean, yeah, it, it, the way this tournament went from a fan point of view is just. I got so uh, I don't know. I, I'd probably speaking. I hope I'm speaking for other people, but. There'll be moments, the further we got, where I'd start daydreaming about uh, us winning the trophy and I'd flip between being really excited and, and then start welling up a little bit, like being like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's going to happen, it's going to happen. No, the tournament was great. I mean, I think the first game, you know, we beat Croatia and it was a hot, sunny day. And I remember saying to one of my mates when I got home was just like, why, why does the weather always turn great when there's a tournament on? And that was the last sunny day we had throughout the tournament. It's probably the last sunny day we've had full stop, isn't it? <laughs> it's true, it's true. But no, it, it was it was so exciting. It was so good to see the progress, you know, that Croatia game, the sort of strategic battle that there was the Scotland game where I think it was interesting our two attacking fullbacks, uh, Shaw and James for that game, didn't seem to get past the halfway line. And I remember thinking, why, why is that? They're both so good at it. And 
so so good to see that even throughout the tournament, I think Gareth kind of you know made the changes in the team and the structure and stuff like that, and it paid off. Um, and then yeah, the final. Obviously, I, I I lost my head a bit in the final when um, the Italians started celebrating in in front of the home end. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> if anybody had seen me, I'd be, I was very unprofessional. I was uh, effing and effing and jeffing quite a bit and throwing some arms in the air because uh, I think Banuki was humping the air in front of us. What's it? Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but up until that point, I was loving it. Yeah, well, no, I think I think you're kind of excused for uh, for showing your football human side <laughs> at that final. I think we all we all felt it to to get this far with you and your colleagues helping us as as England fans. We all know what's obviously happened over the past however long it's been, um, but it was quite some time ago that I think that the tickets originally sort of went on sale for us as supporters. Then we were told, no, they're, they're being cancelled and all that sort of thing. And we'd have to, uh, to reapply. That must've been an absolute well, nightmare for you. Um, I mean, talk us through what, how, how it happened for you. I tell you what, actually first I thought it was going to be a, like not a godsend, but um, when we'd done all of the work, you're organising a tournament from a ticketing side is, yeah, you're looking at kind of six to seven months of work from start to finish, sort of liaising with various stakeholders, uh, ticket allocations, prices, building in the structures to do X, Y, Z. We've done all that. The ballots are, you know, are hideous um, as well. They're, they're complicated and you're dealing with a lot of sort of a lot of complex data across various games. We've done all that, put it to bed, you know, patted ourselves on the back. And when I heard the tournament was going to be postponed, I thought, Hello, we've done all the work. There'll be no COVID next summer. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, everything, and everything will be fine. Obviously, that wasn't the case at all. Um, but essentially, you know, sort of fast forward a bit to you know to kind of when we had to make the decision about uh, whether we kind of cancel and refund all the tickets or not. Yeah, we spent we spent like weeks just trying to kind of analyze every possible scenario you know what would be fairest for for you know, for current ticket holders um yeah based on realistically how we could deliver a kind of reballer and yeah we spoke to you know various uh, groups of supporters um some supporters that I just I just know personally have gotten to know over the last 5 years that I that kind of respect their opinion of because they kind of you know, boots on the ground sort of thing yeah. um spoke to the football sports association like various colleagues as well, just to kind of understand what the fairest solution would be, which is inevitably what we came up with. Effectively, you know, if we had done a reverse ballot, and I know I'm kind of probably going too far into the weeds here, but, you know, in a nutshell, doing a reverse ballot where we only take tickets away from people, the way UEFA's systems and sales structures work is that we couldn't just take tickets off of people because we couldn't split groups. UEFA wouldn't allow allow us to go, um, you know, if, if me, you and another supporter were in a group and I, and I was the lead booker, I couldn't just take two people off that group. They wouldn't let us do it um, you know, for, for various reasons. So, you know, if we'd done that, it would have meant that we, you know, only certain people would have been able to have their tickets refunded if we, you have to forgive me, because, uh, you know, you know, like after an exam, uh, when, when your brain just goes, I'm forgetting everything about yeah. my life for the last year. You know, effectively, we had to look at it from, um, you know, do we refund everybody? And, you know, and then there was the question of whether or not 
uh, there were going to be additional charges incurred from refunding tickets through various banks and whether you had to pay an additional cost when you rebought your tickets. And, you know, all, all, all of these things were, were really weighing down on us because the whole time, and I know this sounds like, <laughs> you know, it probably sounds like, um, you know, I don't know what the word is, but BSing a little bit, but the whole time our, our genuine major concern is like just how it impacts members and, and supporters because, I personally, I follow Chelsea home and away and, you know, I, I understand kind of all of the trials and tribulations of following a team, but it was just such a stressful situation to try and tweak this kind of plan to be as fair as possible. And as I said, you know, the refund all option meant that we could start the clean slate and then treating everybody as an individual meant that we could you know, distribute tickets purely based on their, you know, quote unquote loyalty down the years. Um, if we'd done group bookings again, again, just based on the way these ballots and systems work with UEFA, it would have meant we couldn't split those groups. So if you're on 66 caps, um, Russell, and I'm on zero, and we applied as a group, it would have meant you know, either we're both successful or both not. So yeah. you get your ticket, which is great, but then I take a ticket away from someone slightly further down the caps table. And it meant, you know, trying to not just make this decision, which we, in the end, we felt was as fair as we could possibly be, but then also trying to articulate exactly what was going to happen to members with this hideously kind of complex list of scenarios. If we get this far, if you're buying a ticket with X person, X, Y, Z. And you know, that, that update we did in April, you know, we're working from home at that point still, and I remember you know, sitting in my room and we'd worked on this document for about three weeks, trying to make sure that it you know, hit all the right buttons and, and make sure that it made sense. And we had to ratify it through various people at the business to make sure that X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. I remember hitting the send button and uh, I was, it was like in my head, just when you hear, you know, like the worst nightmare when you're on a plane and you hear brace, brace. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, no. <laughs> well, yeah, I've I've not heard it either. But essentially, that's what my that's what my brain was doing because I was thinking, I don't know how this is going to land because yeah. you never really do. Um, but jokes aside, like <laughs> the majority of people took the time, read it, got it, and loads of comments started coming and going. Oh, like you know, this is really clear. Blah 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 blah. And um, that was yeah, that was nice because yeah, we put a lot of work into it, and I think people kind of understood the situation we were in because we had been in COVID for you know COVID situation for every year now. So I think people had started to understand the kind of big impact on everything, and I think that helped us because yeah, the response was 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 more positive than negative. So yeah. which is that's good. That's cool. I mean, how many people are in your team, as it were, or work under you, or work with you as part um, of the supporters club? So yeah, there, there there has been a restructure, uh, which was quite well documented. So so Harpreet was was due to leave before COVID. Yeah. So Harpreet Robertson, who originally headed up um, the England Sports Travel Club uh, for sixteen years, I think in the end, fifteen sixteen years. So she was due to leave anyway, but she was due to leave after the Euros. But because the Euros kind of got delayed, yeah. she kind of left beforehand. We were a team of three people. Uh, me, Harpreet, and uh, Lauren Gresty, who some of you may remember. Um, yeah. uh, but what we would obviously have access to is the ability to kind of get temps in when our workload um, increases uh, to kind of manage the customer relations side of it. Because the customer relations side of the membership, when we're, you know, when England aren't playing, most people are very much, they go back to the clubs and, you know, they don't contact us, which is, which is fine because, you know, we can manage the, the inbox 
yeah, a couple of emails a day, easy. In the build-up to and around games, that goes up copious amounts. So we would get temps in, kind of regular temps that would yeah, help manage that situation for us. So um, we've moved over to operations now. We sit in operations. We used to sit in marketing. And there's a few new team members. So it's myself still, my colleague Liam, and uh, another member of the team called Darren. And we just re- we just got another uh, kind of semi-permanent member of staff um, because Liam is going on paternity leave. Not that anyone needs to know this. Um, so th- there's still three of us. I wish him all the luck. Yeah, I think I don't. I think he cannot wait to get away from all this. <laughs> it's been such a stressful last like what, six, seven, eight months. But yeah, we're still three, and we have the ability to kind of tap into the ticketing team resource. But because of COVID and because of sort of you know the impact of on the FA and because of all of the restrictions on people coming into the office, we've not been able to and throughout the whole tournament get any temps in to kind of manage our customer relations side of things. So you know, trying to trying to work our way through a tournament, uh, and also at the at the end of the day, you're in the inbox and you've got 450 emails that need answering within the next couple of days. You know, it's been it's been quite tough. In normal times, you know, our numbers make sense, um, but unfortunately, yeah, we just had to kind of grin and bear it through COVID and um, yeah. kind of all all kind of pick up slack, really. No, I think it's it's, it's good to know. Well, it's important to know, sort of from a supporter's perspective on the outside, just what, what you're going through um, with regards to that. When the tournament was given the, the green light to go and, and ticketing was was started to get up and going again, there was still the situation that sort of UEFA didn't didn't actually give us the uh, like the capacities, did they? They were talking 20, 30%, 50, full stadiums yeah. uh, and that sort of thing, which, I mean, obviously there was the, the group games, which were, were they, what, 25,000, 22,500, something like that? But it must have been a nightmare because obviously then it, it grew for the Germany game and, and that. It was, um, you know, I, I don't think many people have this uh, stance, but I had a huge deal of sympathy for UEFA during the tournament. Because again, you know, not only not only was this the most complicated Euros anyway, you know, whatever you think about having the Euros across the whole of Europe, um, yeah. that logistically was huge for them to try and do. And then on top of that, to have to A, refund all of the tickets, B, work on various different capacities and COVID restrictions and ever-changing sort of landscapes on that side of stuff. You know, our counterparts, um, from a ticketing point of view, at UEFA, you have you know one one employee will look after two, three, four, or five kind of nations. So the the lady that works with with us, um, very nice lady called Deborah, she looks after kind of ticketing for us, Belgium, Germany, you know, all the teams that usually get quite far, much to her <laughs> displeasure. <laughs> I'm sure. um, and you know, like honestly, you know, we we were having chats throughout it, and you just you like you know. I'm, I'm okay. I mean, this, but you know, the times when we're just talking to like this is just too much. This is you know, because you, you've got companies where you've got people working towards you know X, but they can't get any help in. They had a similar issue to us, and it was just the workload was just in, incredible because there were just so many different scenarios and everything happening on the fly on the turn. And you know, every game, you know, the late the late stages we got, you know basically we didn't know what was going to happen for the next game until we won that game. Uh, and even, and then UEFA had to try and figure that out in a, sh- in a day for us to be able to figure it out in from our side in two days or something like that. 
So, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was really difficult at times, but you know, I think the good thing is that from our side, especially, I mean, we all love football and yeah, I think it was quite easy to pick ourselves up. And I think as well, I just want to say that the, the later, latter stages that we went, you know, so many people were sending us like emails, you know, like messages on Facebook, uh, the forum, everything were just saying, yeah, thank you so much for you know, all the work you're doing and things like that to that effect. You know, and sort of fast forward to the final um, when we kind of put a, a semi-emotional uh, message out sort of, you know, uh, after everything, we just got flooded. Like I didn't, we got, I think it was about 160, 170 emails, that minimum of people just saying thank you. And, you know, that, that sort of thing legitimately, and I know this sounds really uh, wishy-washy, but legitimately that sort of stuff really did sort of pick us up a little bit because we're putting in all this effort and usually you kind of don't see or hear anything back from that side of things because, it's just you know it's, it's fast paced and stuff, but people took the time and it genuinely uh, made a difference because it was it was nice to sort of see people you know say thank you basically. But I mean, going back to to UEFA, yeah, I mean they were just trying to figure everything out on the fly as well, and I cannot imagine uh, the stress that they were under. And yeah, for all intents and purposes, I think they did uh, a remarkable job considering all of the constraints. Um, I know people say, oh, you know, they didn't didn't do this, didn't do that, or they didn't give us enough information in time. I promise you they were trying to do as much as possible. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've probably had a few bad words to say about UEFA in the past about various things. Um, but, you know, in terms, of, in, ter- in terms of the people that work there, especially from a ticketing point of view, um, they're all really lovely, they're all really hardworking. And, uh, you yeah, know, a lot of the thanks um, that we got is, you know, also uh, down to them as well. So, yeah. Well, with like UEFA and and the ticketing side of things where they where, where yourselves you came out and and said oh we've managed to secure x amount more tickets was that yeah. you haggling with UEFA or ever saying can we can we get them was that you personally or your team yeah honestly um it's <laughs> so essentially you yeah you know, UEFA chuck a number at you to begin with and that's your kind of baseline yeah, most other nations, because they don't have the following that we have, will just take it and done. You know, here you go, put them on sale, general sale, whatever, you know, no membership structure, absolutely easy for them. Yeah, obviously we're different. Um, we have, you know, we have a lot of members. Um, we have big interest in any game, wherever we play in the world. And so, yeah, from an initial point of view, whatever we get for any single game, our first answer is great. Okay. Can, can we have more? If you, don't, <laughs> if, if you don't sell any, can we have more? Can we reduce these seg lines? Can we, um, you know, can, can we do X, Y, Z? If, if you don't sell X number of t- tickets, is it possible that you can shift some home fans that we can have a little bit more extra in your way? And, you know, so it is, it is definitely us, you know, we, our lives would have been so much easier if we'd just taken whatever they'd given us. Um, it means, you know, it means one ballot. It means one process and everything like that. And um, and it is it is us? You know, we have it, it's a collection. Actually, it's, it's kind of who's ever talking to them at the time. Um, there's a guy at the FA um, called Paul who who's now head of events. He was dealing with uh, UEFA from kind of a venue perspective as well. Um, but you know, he's one of the one of the big guys. So uh, one, one of the powers that be, I suppose you might want to call him. But so he would also throw his weight into it. And again, you know it'd be very easy for us to, to have taken whatever, but you know, him to his credit, you know, and to us as well, whenever we'd be speaking with him on calls about the, the allocations, always, always, always chipping away, beg, stealing and borrowing for, for additional tickets. And, you know, that's why we had so many late sales or so many, 
times when we had to do, I think, I think for this, it's either for the semi or the final, I think we were running a sale at like eight o'clock at night, um, eight or nine o'clock at night. Um, you know, and that was because we'd managed to uh, essentially, I guess the best way to describe it is, and this is probably where, you know, you can probably have a go at UEFA, but UEFA before England are due to play in a game, UEFA will want to try and sell as many tickets as possible in case England don't make it. Because if England don't make it, then there's less interest. So, um, you know, realistically they're, they're trying to cover their backs and you can understand that from from their point of view because you know they're in it you know, it's, it's a money related thing so as soon as we do qualify so we get given our minimum allocation as soon as we do qualify we're going right what haven't you sold like give it to us you know and on top of that when they run various other sales there'll be returns from sponsors there'll be returns from um you know corporate stuff like that where you know if we're playing a team for example that um, have been awarded X number of tickets, but for some reason they can't take them. Yeah, be they internal tickets or supporter tickets. So we're just we're just always asking every single day, two or three times a day. You know, what you got? What you got? What you got? And yeah, we'll just, we'll just take anything. Um, you know, and that that goes for every away game. It's usually not as common to get extra tickets for an away game because it's quite a segregated section. And yeah. from a kind of security perspective, that's kind of you know more uh, more adhered to. But yeah. Um, it's it's just a case of, of of knowing and understanding um how their sales system works keeping keeping on at them the whole time uh, and just making sure that we get as many as we can and on top of that whenever our, our internal areas of the business for example um we have our own you know like various sponsors or whatever we get a couple of hundred tickets whenever we would always be in contact with every single team and just say have you got any tickets that you haven't been able to sell or whatever and we'd get yeah, for every game, five, 10, 15 tickets that potentially um, have been returned or they couldn't sell. And we just put those into our pot as well. And, and that's why even right up until match day, we were calling people on their mobile phones. Like, it was like a radio show, you know, like if we call <laughs> you and you say, I, I want to go to the game. You know, we, we, call, you know we, we're literally just sitting there, just going through caps and calling people like, uh, do you have a ticket for the game today? And you're like, no, do you want one? You know. So, yeah, I mean, we were just trying to do everything we could to to get as many people, um, many of our members in as possible, because this is, yeah, we do that anyway. But um, ha- having had so many people who had tickets taken off them, we, it was just our responsibility to make sure that, um, you yeah, know, as many people as possible got them back and we would have got them from anywhere. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it's, it was received well. I, I know a couple of friends of mine got a phone call from from either yourself or, or someone in the team and, and took you up on that um i'm wondering actually i mean did you have like well, a, actually, i was going to say actually just just quickly on that um the problem with that is that no one was picking up private numbers so we had to call from our own numbers so quite a few hundred people uh, now have our personal number um to which the next every time we we, we, we progressed we were getting phone calls going have you got any tickets oh, no. <laughs> oh don't go abusing it people <laughs> No, well, I, I, I don't blame him. I would have been equally as, as desperate for a ticket. So, <laughs> I'm guessing though that the uh, what was it the Ukraine game in Italy probably gave you a little yeah. bit of a break, did it? Or, or were you involved in that? Do you know what? It was an absolute godsend. Not because we got time off, but because I don't know how we would have managed to organise the semi final if we also had to organise uh, the quarter final. Because it was, yeah, we were getting information so late. Um, it, it was, I just remember thinking at the time, I don't know how we would have done this if this was at Wembley. And obviously, we would have had to have done it, but it just, 
it wasn't respite at all. You know, it's still full on. You know, it's still getting in at sort of seven, eight o'clock at the earliest um, and leaving sort of 10 o'clock at the earliest as well in the evening. The amount of money I spent on Uber. I don't live too far from the stadium, actually. So it's not it's not too bad. I'm, I live in Acton, so um, it's only about a 15, 20-minute ride. But the Ukraine game was was weird, I think, because it was great to see England fans out there. And we kind of semi were kind of orchestrating a mini kind of, you know, PR ticket sale with local residents. You know, we were looking into how many um, expats live in and around the stadium yeah. and then kind of pushing messaging out through the embassies um, to try and make sure that, you know, England fans kind of got into the ground. There wasn't a lot we could do other than just nudge. Um, and of yeah. course, people out there would have been on it anyway. So, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not saying that what we did meant that 6,000 expats were in the ground, but those guys looked like they had a great time. They sung really loud, like they were they were on it. It was it was really good. Um, you know, I was glad that there was a contingent out there. Actually, for that game, funny enough, um, yeah. As soon as we'd won, so I watched it. You know, to be descriptive, basically our upstairs neighbour had a couple of people over, so we went and watched it up there. And uh, yeah, with the idea that the second we won, I'd run down and, and send out information about the semi final, to which I did. And I was I was definitely not going to have a beer to watch the game, but unfortunately. I had a couple and also the a lady lives upstairs. She made an espresso martini as well. So I would be rude to say no. Um, I, I came down with about 10 minutes to go because it, it was obviously looking quite comfortable. I actually spilled beer all over my laptop. No. And, uh, <laughs> honestly, I was panicking so much because I was like, I have to get this information out for the semifinals. So, because we were, I think we were doing... I think it was that the next day was going to be the first round of, of sales, like stage one or whatever we ended up calling it now. I can't remember. And we, I think we went from round to, to windows at one point. We changed the terminology. And uh, my laptop just wasn't working. The keyboard was I was like, oh, my God, like this is absolute nightmare. So I turned it upside down and I was like pacing up and down my hall thinking, right, what's plan B? What's plan B? And I legit couldn't think of one because, you know, my, my colleagues didn't have this information on their laptop and, from that point, when it started working again, um, my, my numbers five and six actually still don't work on the keypad. But um, when it started working again, I first thing I did was send it to my colleague uh, and then and then slowly got it out. So that was a bit of a nightmare. It was not a stress-free uh, event from start to finish for the Ukraine game. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, this is the sort of thing that goes on. I mean, one thing that um, I don't know what ticket it it related to whether it was a semi-final or, or probably throughout the whole thing. And, and you mentioned the the forum mm. earlier. There was a couple of instances where mm. where supporters maybe got their back up with with other supporters trying to to tout their own tickets on the the Facebooks. It's a travel club, travel supporters club Facebook page, which many maybe many supporters may not be aware of. But what was the what was the situation with that? <clears throat> Um, I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, I personally, as a football supporter, I hate ticket touting so much. Face face value swaps or face value or swaps or face value, whatever mm. you want to call it, you know, uh, spares even, not swaps. Um, yeah, I have, I have no, I personally have no problem with because it, it, it's almost part and parcel of you're going away with your team. If you're coming into it late and you don't, you don't have a ticket, anyone got a spare, you get one face yeah. value. Maybe you buy them a pint. We, you know, we knew realistically that people would you know whoever got a ticket either through ESTC the England Sports Travel Club or through UEFA the resale value of that was always going to be high the further we got on yeah. and I think it's impossible to 
to stop all obviously ticket touting. And I think that the app system kind of helps to a degree and it's still possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, personally, it's, I hate it. Um, if we ever catch anybody doing it, um, yeah, they, they feel the full weight of, if they're within our membership scheme, we kind of have jurisdiction over them. So, you know, if, if you'd posted a, a, a ticket for sale or if we, if you'd come to our attention that you, Russell, were selling your final ticket for three grand or whatever it was, um, you know, we would have your information. We would know, you know, who you are, what ticket you got. And then yeah. you go through the kind of appeals process. Um, so you deal with RFA security team. They essentially review a case and you go through an appeals board, um, which would have been sped up during the tournament, which happened to a few people. Um, and that's essentially, um, it's three independent non-FA people. Um, I think there's ex-police, uh, there's a teacher, and I, I can't remember who the third person is, but they effectively get given all of the you know, information and they make a decision based on X, Y, Z, you know, uh, what the outcome is. Uh, and yeah, a couple of, we, we managed to catch a couple of people and sometimes thanks to actual members themselves pointing out to us, because as I said previously, our kind of customer relations side of things was just you know, off the chart. It was absolutely you know, gridlocked and sometimes it's difficult to see everything um, when that's happening. So members were sending us emails and stuff like that, which is which is helpful, you know, because it means that although there was yeah there was one case I think where there were two people by the same name and we 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 had to message both of them because we because uh, we weren't sure which one it was we just cast the net and you know see, see who comes back to us. But no, you know, we got we got a few. Um, we obviously didn't get all of them. Um, you know, I don't think you ever will. But we will always always try to 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 make sure that those people are kind of removed from the membership because it's just, it, you know, it drives me nuts when, you know, for example, to go into Chelsea, you know, I think I couldn't go to the Champions League final 2008. I was 18. I didn't have enough money. It was either that or my season ticket, but I got offered a ticket, obviously just through the, you know, the loyalty scheme, and, you know, and I could have bought that ticket and sold it for three, four, five times face value. But, you know, the point is that if you do that, you're, you're taking it away from the next person in the list who deserves to be there based on loyalty and it just it winds me up so much that that people would would try and make profit off of uh, other people just because of their loyalty. And I know you might argue that football clubs that technically do that with ticket prices, but at least it's not uh, six hundred quid for a ticket. Yeah, uh, yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, nice. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, great tournament. You you helped out us as England fans really well. I mean, I'd like to say from personally, yeah, thank you. But it, it doesn't stop there, does it? Um, I mean, only today as we're, we're speaking, you've just sent out um, an update on the the forthcoming World Cup qualifiers that are, are coming our way. Obviously, Andorra at home is, I mean, that's probably been quite quite a good take-up, I imagine, for, for yeah, supporters. Yeah, I'm not actually sure of the number. But no, I'm not actually sure of the number at the moment. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely, yeah, as I'm sure you can imagine, first, first game after... The tournament. Um, I don't know how many of the people that uh, who kind of broke into Wembley Stadium will be wanting to come to that game, but um, there are still tickets available if they're interested. Uh, first of all, obviously, thank you uh, for your kind words. I mean, it's it extends beyond me as well. Like you know, the the rest of the team pulled unbelievable shifts, and um, yeah, it was as I said earlier, it was it was very difficult. But yeah, like comments like that were were well received and. Um, yeah, I think at the ticket collection point, various people who'd kind of figured out where we were because we would we would at a ticket collection point because we also do players, family and friends um, tickets because they're right. physical um, because they're quite um, often like late tickets and they make their mind up late. And so we were 
do it working from a ticket collection point, but also had those with us. And so we, yeah, they'd come to us, we'd give them a ticket. Uh, a few people found out where we were and uh, brought us uh, things like coffees and uh, and sweets and stuff like that, which is quite quite nice. But yeah, no, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a good team effort from our side. So all thanks does extend to go on them. Um, yeah. But yeah, the Andorra game yeah, is selling well. Um, I'm really excited about it just because I've already spoken to the events team and uh, told them not to ruin Sweet Caroline for us. So... Because uh, I'm, I'm worried, I'm worried that they're just going to play it over and over now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the Hungary and Poland games are, are just, again, just the most complex games. Well, I mean, it's the first away games we're actually considering having a way following with since COVID, and it's just unbelievably complicated. You know, various permissions and deals need to be reached between you know local governments and uh, UEFA and host associations and local police and all that sort of stuff and you know it, it's yeah it's very 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 tricky um you know we've we've had meetings with both of them this week like physical meetings with them and and we ended up coming away with more questions than answers and it's, it's this is yeah, it's you different. and your team going out to to both Hungary and Poland yeah, there, well, there were a few people from the FA travel out, yeah, sort of as like a pre-visit thing because they need yeah. to get things sorted, like training grounds, uh, hotels for the team, um, and then we go from a you know ticketing and security uh, and ticket collection point point of view. Um, yeah, often we have ticket collection points at hotels, so we have to try and find a hotel that um, has a side entrance, has a downstairs meeting room um, that is close to the city centre and or a a good transport link that will also allow 3000 England fans to traipse through their, their hotel <laughs> and use their toilets and that sort of stuff, which is really, which is a lot more difficult than people think. Um, but uh, so uh, as you may have seen in the update, um, yeah, we're doing ticket collections at the stadium for both games, if we get an away allocation. And you know, when we're out there, the reason being is just because no hotel wants that many non, you know, visitors to, you know, traipse through and, you know, people that are coming from a country, especially where the Delta variant, it was kind of uh, um, quite popular. Probably the wrong choice of words. Um, so we are doing ticket collection points at the stadium because both stadiums are quite well connected. Um, to right. transport links. They're not too far away from city centre. And it also means that we're in like a, a kind of um, portable ticket collection machine, not machine, like a porter cabin. Oh, yeah. Um, which from a, you know, from a protective point of view is good for us because if we were at a hotel, we'd, have to come in contact with physical contact with so many okay. people so it helps us being inside a, a bubble so to speak if we're going to see that many people plus people who are queuing will be outside you know so it's 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 not like they have to wait in a hotel lobby and, and all that sort of stuff so yeah. trying to factor in all of these kind of health and safety measures into the seat into it as well is is, is tricky yeah. i noticed just quickly looking at the the email that you've sent out we're talking on the monday the 9th People who registered their interest for each mm-hmm. game was Hungary, seven thousand and nine. Poland, six thousand and eighty-three. I mean, are they should if and it go ahead? Are they numbers that would be possible um, for England yeah. fans? Or? We, we won't. We won't get. Um, yeah, we, we won't get anywhere close to kind of six thousand. I don't think through the game. Um, no. I think. You know, in terms of the registration numbers themselves, they're a little bit over what you'd normally expect. Um, Obviously, because you know, people, a lot of eager people. There's a lot of EA. Usually, I'd say usually you get about five thousand for a, for a decent away. You know, for yeah. like a kind of big hitter. And um, 
but yeah people are really keen to go which was obviously great and you know I, yeah, I think everyone should be because it's been a long time the last one was Kosovo wasn't it in 2019 yeah, yeah. so but no I mean the, the allocations again are still TBC um you know people can can do their digging and and find what a normal away allocation is in those venues you know I think the um the Warsaw Stadium, the original weigh-ins, about 2,000. And for um, the Hungry Stadium, it's um, it's about 3,000-ish. So, okay. you know, you're typically looking at that as your kind of starting point. But, you know, it's, the rule is 5% or 3,000, whatever comes first. Um, but, again, all of that stuff goes out the window because first the, the, the country and the government have to figure out whether they want people coming in and what those restrictions are. Then UEFA have to figure out whether even because of that, they will allow supporters at an away game because you know they've, they've said no in the past with regards to COVID and other such things. And then after all of that, uh, you have to try and see what the allocation looks like based on all of those restrictions that have been put on, on us by the government and by UEFA. So, you know, in theory, and this isn't a thing that you know is definitely going to happen, but in theory, it could be a socially distanced away end, right? Not that that would be a thing because people would just cram in anyway yeah. and all stand at the front. But yeah, so so there's this there's this question marks galore over all of it. So yeah, we're just we're just really hoping for some clarity um, this week um, on a if people can come and then b numbers and, and kind of how that looks how that's going to look, and then we've got to start figuring out the sales and the new seat allocations and that sort of stuff. So. Wow. I wish you all the best with all of, with all of that. Obviously, you've done, what's it? So you said you've done the World Cup one. You've done, obviously, um, the Nations League one. And, and now you've done the, the home European Championships ticketing thing. I mean, must, must be plenty of stuff you've learned or, or stuff that you'd think, oh, I wouldn't do that again. Um, I mean, so my first tournament I joined, um, I, jo- I joined December 2015. So my first tournament was... Uh, my first tournament was uh, the um, Euros France, in France. Euros, yeah, and um, and yeah, and that that was kind of me just being there to help because I didn't really know anything. You know, I was trying to learn the ropes. I was just kind of doing stuff that I was being told. Russia was kind of like the first one I kind of led on, and yeah, absolutely amazing. You know, to to kind of do that stuff on. You know, I, I, I know uh, I, I don't know if it comes across. Like, I genuinely love doing this stuff. Like it's you know from a from a point of view, even before I joined the FA, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff at Chelsea, fan-led stuff at Chelsea. Um, I've just always been fascinated and I love like the fan, fan element of games. You know, it's the idea that, you know, sometimes people watch the game, but then sometimes there are people who are just like looking around, like taking the atmosphere, trying to get songs started, stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do a, I, I run a side and run a group at Chelsea that do all of the displays and, you know, TIFOs as some people call them and all that sort of stuff um, in the stands. And so that's kind of what, led me towards getting this job in the first place was um I was doing that and I was kind of volunteering with the Football Sporters Association, um previously the Football Sporters Federation. And that's kind of why I fell into this because it's kind of perfect because it was a fan element of of England, you know. But yeah, I mean Russia was Russia was great. Um the Nations League was was my favorite because uh yeah just a week in Portugal weather was great. Yeah. Uh, locals were great. Yeah the Nations League is is I, I don't know what other people think about it, but the best thing UEFA have done in a long time, I think. Oh, absolutely. Is, I love it. That's great. Taking away all of the, well, not all of them, but, you know, majority of the kind of friendlies and replaced it with competitive tournament and you get a week somewhere if you if you win. You know, like we had, I think, about eight or 9,000 people out in Portugal for a week. I mean, like, you know, you don't, you don't get that from any or many other nations where you just have 8,000 people just 
parking up in in Portugal and <laughs> having an absolute blinder. It's it's great. But yeah, and then and then this tournament was um was the the most difficult thing I think um you know anyone who ever worked on an event has ever worked on from any angle because there was just no rule book. You know, yeah. it was just you just had to kind of try and figure it out and and you didn't have time to kind of necessarily see if it would you, know, you can test it you kind of had to go on inkling and inclination and whatever it is um but no yeah i'm looking forward to uh, katana which is like way sooner than you think yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah that, that'll be fun too i hope wow. Wow. well it's it's been it's been great to speak to you and just to get your your perspective on on how things were and, and hopefully supporters will or maybe give them a little bit more understanding into it so uh yeah i, I say i appreciate you you're very busy so yeah thank you very much for your time and maybe we'll speak again at, at some stage down the line uh, i i have absolutely no doubt that we will cheers russell Great stuff. Thank you to Richard there from the England Supporters Club for his time and his insights. I hope it just gave a a little look into how those guys worked over the summer for us, basically. Thanks for tuning in. Good to be back. I've got another episode coming your way very soon. And you may remember a while back we had a chat with Graham Morse, who is the son-in-law of Sir Walter Winterbottom, who was the first England manager. Well, next week, we'll follow that one up. I'll leave you to have a think about who it could be about. But I hope you can join me for it. As always, you can follow the show on social media, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search Three Lions Podcast. Tell your friends. So until the next time, look after yourself. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.